love that song. I love that our team has worked hard to prepare to lead us in worship today. Thank you, guys. Today we are going to be looking at the story of Job. I want to invite you to turn over there with me. I'm going to start in chapter 1 of Job. Take a look at a few verses together. Starting in verse 6 of chapter 1 of Job, you'll find it on the page 496 in a pew Bible, if you need to pull out one of those. Reading of God's Word begins like this. One day the angels came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan also came with them. little aside, the name Satan means the accuser. The Lord said to Satan, where have you come from? Satan answered the Lord, from roaming throughout the earth, going back and forth on it. The Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one like him. He is blameless and an upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. Does Job fear God for nothing? Satan replied. Have you not put a hedge around him and his household and everything he has? You have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. But now stretch out your hand and strike everything he has and he will surely curse you to your face. The Lord said to Satan, very well, then everything he has is in your power. But on the man himself, do not lay a finger. Then Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. One day when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. And the Sabaeans attacked and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was speaking, another messenger came and said, The fire of God fell from the heavens and burned up the sheep and the servants. I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and made off with them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine in the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. At this, Job got up and tore his robe, which was a sign of grief. He shaved his head. He fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I come from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave... And the Lord is taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Does that sound familiar? We just sang a song based on those very words of Job. In all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. So reading of God's word, you may be seated. And as you are seated, uh, we do have kingdom kids today. So all of those who are have kiddos between the ages of four years old through second grade, can meet Miss Rosemary right over here for Kingdom Kids. And you can tell they're excited. They're ready to go have some fun. We have a wonderful Kingdom Kids coordinator. Her name is Marcia Singleton. You may know her. That is my wife. 
She is out of town today because she has taken our oldest daughter, uh, Ava, on a little trip to kind of celebrate her growing up. And uh, so they are not with us. But uh, so it's it's been uh, an adventure. Me and the other three kiddos, we've had a great time. We're ready for mom to come home tomorrow. And uh, so maybe maybe you say an extra little prayer for me today. I don't know. Just throwing it out there. Just think about that. I could use it. Uh, particularly because we're dealing with Job. And I'm going to attempt to preach a message on the entirety of Job to the best of my ability. All 42 chapters. No, we will not cover all of them. We're going to fly by a lot of stuff that happens in the middle. Let me say a little something on the front end. As many of you know, we're working through the Old Testament. Uh, We have been in a reading plan and coinciding with that reading plan have been the Sunday morning sermons. And I'm focusing in on uh, the Old Testament this year round. And it's been so good. We've enjoyed this together so much that our plan is to pick up next year and do another reading plan that focuses on the New Testament when it comes to the Sunday morning sermons. But you may notice today, it's not chronological. If you've ever read the Bible through before, you probably realize that. And you may have wondered what's up with that. Well, the Old Testament and the New Testament is not laid out chronologically. It's actually laid out uh, by genre. And so the first several books of the Old Testament have been the history of God's people, Israel. And now we go from history to uh, poetry. And Job fits within this wisdom slash poetry literature. And that's the season we're going to be in for a little while is talking about the wisdom and poetry of God. And then we will also get to at the end of the Old Testament, we move into the prophetic books like Jeremiah and Ezekiel and, and all of those. Okay, so, they, so if you're wondering where we're at, that's where we're at. We've kind of left behind the story of God's people as they have returned back to their homeland. And we're focusing in on Job. And in fact, Job is, some argue Job is the oldest book in the entire Bible. The, Job, the story of Job may be written that long ago. And uh, some historians say it came together while the God's people were in exile and they're trying to wrap their mind around suffering, but that it was originally composed or originally the story was told about Job long before uh, David sat on the king, sat on the throne of the king of Israel before even maybe Abraham, that maybe it, it dates back even before the patriarchs. And so this is known as a very old story. But it has a very timely message. The message is brought to us in questions, though. It's interesting. I learned this this week. I didn't know it. But Job has the most questions out of any book in the entire Bible. Did you know that? Job has the most questions out of any book, Old Testament or New. In fact, it has 325 questions. Coming in second is a prophetic book of Jeremiah that had 192 questions. So Job has a whole 133 more questions than the second place Jeremiah. But out of all those questions, there's really just one big question. The one big question is this. It's a question that maybe you have asked before as well. And the question is, why does God allow the innocent to suffer? Let me tell you, that's a tough question, isn't it? That is a challenging question. 
In fact, if you're a Christian here today, you may have had people in your life ask you that very question for which perhaps you had a hard time coming up with an answer. Maybe someone who doesn't believe has come to you and said, you believe in God? Yes. You believe He's good, right? Yes. You believe He's all-powerful, right? Yes. Well, if God is all-powerful and He is all-loving, He can do anything. Why is there so much suffering in the world? That is the one question that rises to the top of all of the questions in Job. Why does God allow the innocent to suffer? We can understand why God would allow the guilty to suffer. But why does God allow the innocent to suffer? Added to that question, I thought maybe it would be appropriate to give you an outline for the sermon that is all questions, okay? So here we go. You can try to write, you can write these down, so we'll work through these four questions. What does God say of Job? Written in the Bible, what does God say about Job? Now, what does Job say about God? Third question, what does God say to Job? And the fourth and final question is, as you could have guessed, what does Job say to God? So what does God say about Job? What does Job say about God? And then when they begin to address each other, what does God say to Job? And what does Job say to God? That's how we'll outline it. Before we do, let's pause and pray together as we approach the story of Job. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for your inspired holy word. We thank you that you place within it some very difficult and challenging questions. Because we have those kinds of questions. We walk into this place with those kinds of questions. And you, you don't shy away from addressing them. Your answer may not be what we're looking for. It may not be what we can even understand. But you know what weighs on our hearts. And you draw near to us when we have no clear answers. And for that, Father, we give you thanks. And I pray that the challenging story of Job would speak to us today, that you would speak through it to us. That, Father, we may be changed in the hearing of your word. That we may be able to leave today and say, I had heard of God, but now I've seen something of God that I had not yet perceived. That you change us. This is what we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen. What does God say of Job? Well, we read the story. It's an interesting way to begin the book. It is a throne room scene. And who sits on the throne but God? And God is going through his checklists and going over his, what's happening in the world that he's created. And here comes along the accuser. And what the Bible says, which is what God says... And what is outlined in what God says about Job is all glowing stuff, right? Read with me in the middle of verse 1 of Job 1. This man, Job, was blameless and upright. He feared God and he shunned evil. If you go to the end of verse 3 of chapter 1 of Job, what do we read? He was the greatest man among all the people of the east. This guy's impressive. Job is 
a landowner. He owns lots of sheep. He's got a big family. As you read, if you've read through the entirety of Job, you find out that he has a, a good standing in the community. People come to him for his wisdom. He is an impressive guy, and God knows this. And so when Satan, the accuser, comes in and and I believe God knew exactly what Satan had been doing. Even though God asked the question, God already knew the answer. When he says, where have you been? Where have you come from? Middle of verse 7. I think God knew. That's why God said, have you considered my servant Job? In other words, I think God could have said, you've been considering my servant Job. What did you see? I'll tell you what you saw. You saw someone for whom no one on earth is like him. Now, these are the words of God to Satan. Earlier we read, there's no one, he's the greatest in all the East. And now God says, in fact, not only is he the greatest in all the East, there is no one like him, middle of verse 8. And then the refrain, he is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. What does God think of Job? That's what God thinks of Job. That's how God sees Job. That's what Satan saw. That's what his peers saw. Everybody saw a great man. That's what makes this story so perplexing. That there was an incredible man, incredible man like Job, and yet he suffered under the test of Satan in cooperation with God. And it seems unfair. And that's why I think Job is one of, one of the most well-known figures in the Bible. Is because we feel that sometimes too. Don't we? At one point or another, we will feel like life is unfair. I remember when I was a kid. And I was in grade school, probably third or fourth grade. And I was line leader that day. One of the other students, his name was Will. I remember this clearly said he was line leader that day and cut in front of me. And I lost my little mind because that was unfair, unjust. I couldn't believe this was happening to me. And I let the world know about it, which got me sent to the principal's office. And then I came back to the class, still upset, which got me sent to the hallway. And that got me so upset, I said, I'm walking home. <laughs> and I tried to. And I got in more trouble. Can you believe that? We're all going to feel that some in some very severe, serious ways. You have experienced some unjust suffering. Maybe not to the extent of Job, but you know what it's like to be in pain and not know why and ask God those hard, hard questions. I think it's probably a universal experience. This is not happening to a man who deserved it. It's happening to a great man who feared God and shunned evil. This is what God had to say about Job. Now, what did Job have to say about God? That's the second question. Job's response is twofold. And both are powerful. His first response is to not only grieve, but worship as he grieved. 
And I'll be honest, that, that kind of blows my mind. Job's theology was not that, well, this wasn't of God. God didn't allow this to happen. This was just Satan. In fact, Job knew nothing of the throne room scene. He didn't know that he was under a test. But I have no doubts that he believed God allowed this to enter, enter into his life. God brought this suffering his way. And he believed, in other words, God is sovereign. God's in charge. Nothing happens without his say-so. And yet, as we read in verse 20, in the midst of grief, tearing his robe, shaving his head, he fell to the ground in worship. We've talked about this before. Worship, the actual word there in Hebrew, means to prostrate yourself, to, to lay down before God. It's a picture of humble submission. And in worship, if you notice in probably your translation of the Bible, when you hit verse 21, it looks more like it's in a poem form. In other words, he sang a song. Naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. What did Job say about God? God is worthy to be praised in the midst of suffering. That is one of the most incredible things. One person left in his family that we know of was his wife. His wife saw all that he was going through. If you continue in the story, you find out not only does he have this one terrible, horrible, no good day. In fact, later in Job, he would say, it's the day I feared would come and now has come. He had another no good, horrible, terrible day. Satan goes back and says, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, he's still worshiping, sure. But, hey, if you, take, if you start to bother his, his physical self, then you'll see him curse you and turn away from you. Anyone is willing to do anything to save their own skin. And God says, all right, but you cannot take his life. So Satan inflicts him with boils. Uh, he, his skin begins to darken and itch. This isn't in chapter 1. It's later on in Job. We even read in a place that his wounds have worms in them. Ugh, come on. He can't sleep at night. He has uh, terrible dreams when he does sleep. All of this is later in the book. Incredible physical pain. So much so in verse 8, we read that he took a broken pot shirt and scraped his skin with it. Now his wife is seeing all of this. And his wife says, wouldn't death be better than this? Wouldn't it be better if you just died? What's a, what's a way you can die and not, uh, not offend God by taking your own life? Offend God and let him kill you. And that's what she says. Verse 9, his wife says to him, are you still maintaining your integrity? Curse God and die. Now, I think that's an interesting word, integrity. What does it mean to have integrity? It means to be the same all the way through. If a bridge is to have integrity, it means there's no cracks. There's no uh, rusted out rivets. It is solid. That bridge has integrity. You can drive all over it, no problem. It's solid all the way through. And Job's wife is saying, you keep believing in this God who's supposed to be good and powerful, and yet he's let this happen to you. Wouldn't it be better to just let go of that integrity, curse him and die? 
And Job says, you're talking like a foolish woman. Shall we accept good from God and not trouble? What does Job Job say of, of God? Job says, God is in control. God did bring this my way. This suffering is from the Lord. However, God is still worthy to be praised. Good comes from God. Shall we not accept the troubles that he also brings along in our life? That's the first kind of incredible thing that Job says about God. But the second incredible thing Job says about God is, yet I am innocent here. And Job has no problem telling the world around him that he is innocent of the suffering that he is going through. That he did not deserve this suffering. In the midst of his suffering, he has friends that come to him at the end of verse or at the end of chapter two. They see him from a distance and their hearts are broken. They go and they sympathize with him and they seek to comfort him in his suffering. That's an important word between Job and his friends throughout Job is comfort. They said nothing to them at the end of chapter two. No one said a word. Because they saw how great his suffering was. The second amazing thing Job says about God, not just that he allowed this and yet I will worship him, but he also says, but I maintain my innocence. I did not deserve or earn this suffering. Job's friends, after sitting with him for some time, and after Job says these harsh words in chapter 3, Cursed be the day I was born. His friends say, now hold on a second. You're maintaining your innocence as if you've done nothing wrong. But everyone knows if you suffer, it is because God is punishing you. That's, that's, that's the wisdom of the day. If you're having a hard time in life, if your bank account is low, if you don't have a good vehicle, if your family is fighting, if you're dealing with disease and death, guess what? God is punishing you. You have done something. You need to figure it out. This is what Job's friends are saying to him. This is on you. In fact, the reason your children died is because they sinned. One would say, not only that, but God is, God is disciplining you so that you won't sin in the future. And Job has none of it. He says, no. No. Job says in chapter 13, verse 15, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. That sounds nice and comforting. Put that on a t-shirt, post it on Facebook. But listen to what he says next. I will surely defend my ways to his face. What does Job say of God? God is punishing me and it's not right. I've done nothing to deserve this. Now, what does Job say, or or what does God say now to Job? Job says of God, you're punishing me unfairly. I will still worship you. You are still God. You've allowed this in my life, but it's not right. But now, what does God say to Job? One of the ways to understand Job's name is to define it as 
the Lord's enemy. And this is how Job felt about God. In fact, in chapter 13, verse 24, we read Job saying, Why do you hide your face and consider me your enemy? Chapter 6, verse 4, he says, The arrows of the Almighty are in me. My spirit drinks in their poison. God, terror, God's terrors are marshaled against me. Job 7.20, he says to God pointedly, I, If I have sinned, what have I done to you? You see everything we do. Why have you made me your target? Have I become a burden to you? What will God say to Job after that? I want to pause and just say something here. If you're going through intense suffering, you can tell God what it's like. You can tell God how you feel. You can tell God what you think of Him. Now, it may be unwise to tell the whole world that. Maybe unwise to tweet that. But you can talk to God honestly. In fact, what we will find out when we get to the end of the book, God never judges Job when Job spoke truthfully to God about his experience. God never chastises Job for speaking his mind. Doesn't mean he doesn't correct, but he doesn't get on to him. That's something good for us to know. When we go through suffering, it's okay to tell God what it's really like. But this is the question we're addressing now. After all that is said, what does God say to that? What does God say to Job? So far, we know what what God has said about Job. He's an upright man who fears the Lord and shuns evil. But now, what does God say to Job? After Job has said, I trust that you're in charge. You've brought this about my life. It's not right. Why are you treating me as your enemy? How might God respond to all of that? We don't get to God's response to Job until the end of the book. So if you are tracking with us in your copy of the scriptures, I invite you to turn over to chapter 38. Chapter 38 of Job begins God's response. And it goes like this in verse 1. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. I think that's interesting. God spoke to Job out of the storm. And what does he say? He says, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? God says to Job, you know, I have a plan. Just because you don't see the plan doesn't mean I don't have a plan. Now, we know what happened in that throne room. We know this is a test. We know what Satan's trying to do. We know Satan is trying to get Job to curse God, to deny God, to give up on God, to quit believing in God, to quit living for God. This is what Satan wants. Job doesn't know that. Neither does Job know what God thinks of him, that God thinks that he is a good man, a great man. He is unaware of that. Just as he is unaware that, you know what? There is a plan. And God knows it. This is the hard thing about suffering is sometimes we can't make sense of it, can we? We can't figure it out. And our assumption is, is if I can't figure out a way that this turns out into something positive, if I can't understand that God would allow this in my life to bring about some good, if I can't think of a way, there must be no way. 
God says to Job, Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? 38 verse 3, he says to Job then, Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. You know what that means? To brace yourself like a man, or in some of your translations, it may talk about putting on a garment, getting dressed for what? Battle. Now that would frighten me. God wants to go to battle with me. I've got no chance. And this is where a lot of questions start coming from the mouth of God to the ears of Job. Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. And the first question is a doozy. He says, where were you when I laid the the earth's foundations? Tell me if you understand. Later he will talk about the stars in the sky. He will ask Job, are you the one in charge of them? He will ask him about, in chapter uh, 38, verse 31, can you bind the the chains of the Pallades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations and all their seasons and lead out the bear with its cubs? It's all talking about the stars in the sky, right? Are you in charge of those? Job, are you the one that's in charge of those? Now what we know is that when you look up in the sky, you're seeing billions of stars in our galaxy, maybe up to a trillion. And if you were to zoom out from there, what you may also know is that our galaxy with maybe up to a trillion stars is one of, mil- one of billions, maybe hundreds of billions of galaxies that we can see with a telescope. And from what I understand, we haven't even reached reached the edge of our universe. Trillions of stars in one galaxy, ours. Billions, hundreds of billions of galaxies in in the universe as far as we can tell. And God says, Job, are you in charge of all that? If you read through these series of questions, God is basically saying, maybe I know some stuff you don't. It feels a little bit like cold comfort. When you're suffering like Job, let's make no mistake about it. He's going through severe suffering. And God says some hard things to him about that. God says to Job, you don't know. And you don't even know what you don't know. You are ignorant. Here's the challenge for us in the midst of suffering. And here's maybe the hard truth that it would be good if we knew now before we get into some suffering. Is it just because we can't make sense of God doesn't mean God's wrong. Just because we can't see a plan doesn't mean God doesn't have a plan. Just because we can't think of a good answer to our suffering or the sufferings in the world doesn't mean God doesn't have one. Perhaps God can't even explain it to us in a way that we in our finiteness could understand it. Like a parent trying to explain something to a child. No, you cannot stay up all night. No, you cannot eat candy for breakfast. But I don't understand. I thought you loved me. I thought you had access to these things. What's up with that? 
right? Maybe the difference between us and our child or our grandchildren is even immensely greater than the difference between God and us. So what I would like to say from Job is that there is no senseless suffering. Yes, there may be innocent suffering. Yes, we may suffer, and it's not because of sin. But there is no senseless suffering. God is working out something. And like Job, we just can't see it. But the one thing that Job does, that we ought to do, is keep approaching God. Don't give up on God. Job actually has a response to the questions that God poses to him. Job's response in chapter 40, verses 3 through 5, he says, I'm unworthy. How can I reply to you? I put my hand over my mouth. I I spoke once, but I have no answer. And if I'm God, I would say, exactly. You don't have an answer. But I do. He says, I spoke twice, but I will say no more. It's a short answer. Actually, God has another response to Job. And then Job, once again, is called upon to answer. And we get his last reply in the last parts of this narrative, this story between Job and God, this conversation that they're having, the last part of this conversation in chapter 42. After God not only puts it to him, about his understanding of his will for his life, he also puts it to him to say, you don't even understand how I'm working out justice in the world. You should try it sometime. It's not easy. I and I alone can work out the justice in the world and you cannot. Job replies to all of this in chapter 42, verse 2. He says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. You asked, who is this that obscures my plans without knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I did not understand. Things too wonderful for me to know. You said, listen now and I will speak. I will question you and you shall answer me. My ears had heard of you. But now my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I despise myself. In other words, I recognize how ignorant I am. And I repent in dust and ashes. And that word repent is actually another word for comfort. I change the way I've been thinking about this and sit in the comfort of the presence of God. Which is what he was after all along was comfort. The comfort of an answer to a question That in the end, God does not give. God God never, in the book of Job, gives Job the answer to the question he asks. Job says, why am I suffering? God never tells him. And yet, Job finds comfort. How is that possible? I take that as great news, y'all, because we are going to go through suffering and we will never know why. We will never fully understand. We can take some guesses at it, 
Other people may be generous to tell us why. But the truth is we don't know. And the great comfort of God is that you don't have to see an answer. You just need to see God. That's the comfort of Job. You don't have to see the answer. You just need to see God. And in the end, what Job says is, I heard about you, but now that I've gone through what I've gone through, I have wrestled with God and He has spoken. Not giving me the answer I want, but He has spoken to me. Once I heard of you, but now I see you. And in fact, this is one of the great things suffering can do for us. It can clarify our vision of God. Surely it can obscure. It can cloud. But it can also clarify if we will allow it. If we will do what Job did and keep pressing into our relationship with God. Not giving up on Him. Asking Him the hard questions. Continuing to praise Him and worship Him as God. If we do that, it is most likely, I think, that we can find comfort in the presence of God without hearing the answers we want, just as Job did. And we can have a vision of God that we once did not have. What we find in Job... One of the things he says that is uh, an interesting thing, he says, if only I had someone to help me in this relationship, this struggle with God. If only I had a mediator between God and I. What Job is saying is this is hard and God, this feels strange to me that you would bring discipline into my life. Feels like punishment. Feels like I'm your enemy. Why would you do that to me? If only I had someone that would help me understand you and what you're doing in my life. Because one of the things we need to know is that, God, do you care about me? That's one of the challenges of suffering is it can cause us to question the love of God in our life. Job comes to the end of the book and before he receives the blessing of twofold of all that he has... He says, God has comforted me. What he lacked in a mediator, though, we have. What he needed and wished for, someone to help him make sense of God and help his voice make sense to God, we have. What we have in Jesus is one who has suffered. If there's anyone who has suffered unfairly, is it not Christ? If your Christian theology should teach you that Jesus was a man without sin. He was God in the flesh. And just by reading the gospel stories, you will know that that did not keep him from suffering. He was known as a man of many sorrows. And Jesus... Like Job says, God, not my will, but yours. And God's will for him was to be crushed for our iniquities, as we read in Isaiah 53. So we have that mediator that tells us in the midst of our suffering, God knows what it's like. You say, I I suffer unjustly, unfairly. Why am I going through this? Can I tell you, God knows what it's like. 
Jesus is God in the flesh. He knows every bit of suffering he ever faced was unjust suffering because he was sinless. He was perfect. Better than Job, who was a great man. And he knew suffering. So in the midst of your suffering, if you ask that question, God, do you care? You can look to Jesus to know God knows what it's like to suffer. And because Jesus came out of love for us, to die for us, to take our sins on himself, innocent sufferer he was. Why would he do that? Because yes, he does care. Yes, he does care for you and me. That is putting it lightly. Jesus cares so much, he stretched out his arms, he suffered for you and for me. And if God the Father saw fit to allow suffering into Jesus' life, into Job's life, he's going to allow suffering into my life. And the question is, is, do I have to have an answer to continue to worship him? To continue to have a relationship with him? Do I have to know? Do I have to see the plan? And the answer from Job, the answer from Jesus You don't have to see the plan. You just need to see God. To see the whole plan would be great. But can I tell you, there's something better than knowing the answer to the question why. It's to know the God behind the questions. It's to know God. It is the greatest and most important and most foundational relationship you or I will ever have. It is to know God. Through Christ we can know God. And through suffering, our view of God can be clarified. So that when we walk through it, we know we're not alone. God knows. It's not because he doesn't care, because I know in Christ he does care. I don't have to know the plan. I just know, I just need to know the one who has the plan. I don't have to see answers. I just need to see him. Let's pray. Father God, what a challenging story it is. And Father, you know in some small ways, maybe some really big ways, it's our story too. We ask this hard question too. We want answers like Job. Father, I think at the bottom of it, What we're asking for is what Job was asking for, and that's comfort. The comfort of your presence. And I pray that that is exactly what you would do for us today. You would comfort us with your presence. A presence that knows you see us. We matter to you. You know what we're going through. A comforting presence that says to us, I've been through it myself. I know what it's like to suffer unfairly, unjustly. And a comfort that says to us, I love you. In fact, I've suffered because I love you. Not in the midst of our suffering today or in preparation for suffering down the line. Help us to remember these things. Help us to remember we don't have to have answers. We just need you. We don't need to know the plan. We just need to know you. And that you build within us that kind of resilience because we are in your hands. And from your hand, no one can pluck us. We're firmly in your grip. You're not letting go of us. 
Even when it looks like the world is tearing us apart, you are holding us together. And Father, we give thanks for that. In the name of Jesus, amen.